You guys, welcome to episode 71 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of well, you guessed it, your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McKeady, and today's episode is like probably one of the most special of this entire podcast. Um, first of all, the voice that you're about to hear, you will 100% recognize and feel so soothed by, not only because it's soothing, but because he got a new microphone. Your girl's rich now. Russ Martin, how are you, sir? Troy, it's never been more appropriate to say hi. <laughs> First of all, Russ got a new microphone. He sounds like a million bucks. You may sound better on this podcast than me right now, honestly. I sound smooth and scrunch. Yes, like you're, it's crisp. It's crisp like a fall leaf. Uh, I'm going to have an Alaska voice. I'm just warning you. I'm going to dip in and out of it, but I'm going to come for it. <laughs> yeah. I think that I naturally dip in, dip in and out of an Alaska voice. If Alaska spoke absurdly fast, I think when I get into like a, a deep thought, sometimes I feel like that's what my, my voice sounds like. She has a beautiful enunciation and a <laughs> slow, deliberate enunciation. <laughs> Very that. Uh, also, by the way, Russ is drinking <laughs> a Jersey staple. Caroline Manzo is shaking. Literally, just woke up from a, like a dead sleep. Russ is drinking a Coke and wine, uh, a Pepsi and wine. I call them Pepsi Reds. Oh, I love that for you. <laughs> it's trashy. It's you know, it's Italian. It's traditional. It's what they drink in the old country. It's very European. <laughs> you guys. This is, like I said, one of the most special episodes that I've ever done on this podcast. We're going to be talking today about Alaska Thunderfuck and Sharon Needles. And I just like, Russ is truly a drag um, historian and like super fan. And like, I don't feel appropriate talking about this with anybody besides you, really. I am so excited to talk about the first royal couple of drag. I mean, truly, the, like, they are a royal couple. Like, they are. I don't even know what you would really compare them to. They're like the Britney and Justin of the drag world. I mean, technically, there was Manila and Sahara, may she rest in peace, before. uh, But they really blasted on, and it was a new thing in the world of RuPaul's Drag Race to have a super famous, super successful double top three couple. Yeah, and like on top of it, two of the most influential people in the history, the most influential, the most successful, the most recognizable people in the history of this whole franchise and just in the drag world in general. Um, you know, it's, it's a meeting of just two genius minds. Yeah, they both really changed the dialogue and the visual dialogue of Drag Race. Absolutely. Like, I've said this before. I mean, obviously, Alaska is like... Uh, and I'm not like uh, unique in this that she's like probably in my like top three. I would say probably top two. I could easily say that Alaska's like probably my favorite queen in the history of the show. Who is um, vying for the spot? Who is the other in the top two? It's so hard. See, like this could really like I really live for like an Alaska gig or not um, Alaska, but uh, an Alyssa Edwards gig. I've always loved Alyssa. Mm-mm. Did you watch Dancing Queen? Of course, I finished it in like one day. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it was so good. Your girl laughed and cried. It was so good. I thought it was very cool to see uh, girls from Drag Race moving out and doing non-competition reality. Me too. Mm-hmm. And I've been listening to um, to uh, 
Alyssa talk about how they have like their own dance moms thing happening for years. And I've always been like, why are they not filming that? Yeah. Uh, well, for years they had uh, a pilot uh, that they were shopping around and trying to get going for the House of Edwards, which is like, I don't know if that's a season two thing or a down the line, but I would love for them to bring in that Gia Gun gig to bring mm-hmm. in. Uh, oh, what's with the weed queen? Uh, Astranja. Let's get tickling. Miss Shanji Angie. I mean, I would love some sort of a House of Edwards gig on reality television. Uh, But yeah, for years they were trying to do that. And I'm so glad that eventually it came through in some way. And I don't know, uh, a lot of people complained. What did you think about the format of sort of mixing back and forth between segments that felt like music videos and then segments about Justin's life and then segments that felt like a new version of Dance Moms? Did you dig the format or was it too confusing um i didn't find it confusing i found it jarring at first i found it like i I found it really odd to be like you know this is a scene where we're sitting at like a dinner table talking about like our parents and like drug issues and parenting issues and how horrible our child our childhoods were and then like less than 40 seconds later they're like doing a full music video like in a bowling alley like things (laughs) like that confused me but like once i got used to it it was just like once i got used to it and i realized that like the music videos were supposed to be kind of a, a hokey joke and that, like, they were, like, laughing at themselves. I got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And no matter what, Alyssa Edwards is just watchable. Yeah. Like, I could watch Alyssa literally watch dishes for hours, honestly. Um, I would say that Alaska is my number one queen in Drag Race history. Uh, yeah. I, she really... She brought a certain thing, and then we got to see her evolve and turn into a freaking superstar. Uh, and that has been really cool and as a fan, really rewarding to watch and developed as a person, which we going to get to. But uh, yeah. she is so fantastic and I love her so much. My number two is probably not necessarily out of, I think that she's like the triple threat. I don't know that I think that she's cunt, but she's just in my heart is kimchi. Oh, kimchi's so great. Oh my God. Kimchi's great. Kim, she is just like a visual marvel. She's amazing at makeup and just like as a human being and a character on reality television just is a big old ball of buttery sweetness. She really is. And she's just like, she's nice and she's like lovable and she has no real like bad bone in her body. And you like root, she's so fun to root for. I I completely 100% agree with that. Like I support your, I support your thoughts. Uh, but no, Alaska is right up there. She was one of the titans of that show. Yeah, I mean, Alaska, I think, and again, like you said, we'll get into all this stuff, but I think Alaska, like, really is RuPaul's true predecessor. Like, I think Alaska is the one. Alaska's the one. Like, Alaska is the one queen out of the entire franchise, in my opinion, that 100% can easily carry RuPaul's legacy. I really do. I really feel that. Mm. and has a lot of mainstream potential while still retaining the subversive quality of drag that needs to be there or we're no longer doing drag. Yeah, absolutely. And not to say that, you know, I was going to say, I think that Sharon Needles is, now this is, you know, this is a bold statement, but I'm just going to say it. In my opinion, I think that Sharon Needles is the most influential character in the history of drag race. Ooh. I said it. Uh, it, Sharon's season was a turning point for the show. Yeah. Uh, 
in terms of audience and in terms of content, I think. Uh, I don't know. I might back you on that. Uh, I think that Sharon, like probably no other queen, changed what the show was like and changed the parameters of like quote unquote acceptable drag for the show. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of the Queens, there are Queens that are so influential that it would be really hard to imagine what the season or like the narrative of this show would look like had they not been on it. Somebody like a Trixie or some, somebody like that. But with Sharon, it's like, had Sharon not been on the show, you knock out 80% of the Queens who were able to do the show after her, including Alaska. None of those girls would have been able to be on the show. Or even Trixie. Uh, would we yeah. have, as an audience, accepted somebody walking in looking like a doll, looking warped and twisted and like a bubbly weirdness if we hadn't seen Sharon Needles in that first episode dripping blood out of her mouth. Yeah, she really shattered our perception of what we thought a drag queen was, especially for the people living in, you know, like rural Utah and like places where they're like sneaking and watching this in their in their living rooms where their parents are asleep, like kids who had no idea that a, you know, a queen could look like that and not be pageant, like that is so wild, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And even people who maybe had been to a drag show or had seen drag queens a few times who didn't uh, know the full realm of what drag is and what drag could be uh, brought something totally new to the table and sort of flipped the table upside down. Yeah, and like reminded people that this is actually like a full-blown art form. It's not just, you know, going to wet seal and buying a cute fucking, like, poochie like a little like shitty dress it's a this is an art like this is a true like walking art form and like i think sharon really hammered that into people's heads like oh these people are all artists they're not just boys that want to dress up and sharon played with gender in ways that were very interesting but sharon is not a female illusionist uh she is not a female impersonator uh she is like a gender fuck artist exactly yeah Oh, God, my heart melts. I'm so happy that we're talking about this right now. I could die. Um, well, I guess I can go ahead and introduce the episode now and get rid of the, uh, the old house... What do I call it? Housekeeping. Housekeeping. I almost got housework? What am I? It's because I'm drinking this goddamn PBR. That's what's happening, and it's not my first. Let's just talk for a second. Uh, okay, so Alaska Thunderfuck and Sharon Needles met through MySpace, which I live for, uh, in December of 2009, and they were together for four years Um, by the time Alaska competed on her season of Drag Race. And they broke up in December of 2013. Um, As we all know, if you're a fan of the show, you know that Alaska very famously auditioned for every season of the show. Um, And, you know, for a really long period of her career, she sort of lived in the shadow of Sharon, this, like, meteor-hitting-the-earth, crazy, blew-everybody's-mind queen that kind of changed the format of the show. Um... And yeah, I mean, and Sharon's also been very open about the fact that she felt a ton of guilt having auditioned one time and making it immediately, you know what I mean? And kind of taking this dream away from from Alaska. Um, And they've also both been really open about the fact that while they were together, they both had a lot of addiction issues. They both had a lot of um, just issues with substance and depression and anxiety. And the relationship had just become extremely toxic to say the the least um and something that russ and i have already talked about and that we definitely want to talk about during this episode is the fact that the the relationship ended in this like 
this like drunken brawl that the internet is kind of obsessed with. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. And I figured we could start with Sharon. Let's start with uh, Sharon, Christian named Aaron Cody. It's like, I love the name Aaron Cody. The name Aaron Cody is such a white gay <laughs> porn name. It's incredible. It's like the definition of a porn name. Mm. I live for it. Like, it's like if if every single person did a blind like what is the a male porn name every person in the country would say Aaron Cody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Sharon was born in uh, Newton, Iowa, and you know she's from a farm town, very conservative, religious kind of small small town values area. Um, and one of the things that I found really relatable about her when I went back and researched her life. Um, was that, you know, Sharon describes her childhood as essentially kind of being raised by a TV. You know, she was a kid that was kind of a latchkey kid. She grew up obsessed with pop culture because her she was just watching television all the time. Um, media was her hobby. And that's like where all of, that's where, that's where Sharon Needles was born, was out of a television and watching, you know, Married with Children and like 80s like B horror movies. And like, that couldn't be any more, uh, my aesthetic. Like, cause like Sharon is my, she's everything. It's yeah. Very Peggy Bundy. That was a, a huge influence on Sharon. And you can see that in the vibe. Oh my God. It's perfection. Yeah. Anybody influenced by married, but children I live for. <laughs> um, I also, I wrote down this, uh, this quote, from an interview magazine, this interview magazine interview that she did in 2013, where she said, now that I look back on it, I'm very happy that I came from Iowa. It's an interesting progressive place, but I was raised by a television set and I knew there was more than six foot high cornfields and meth labs. I knew the world worked the way it did inside my TV and I didn't really waste a lot of time figuring out figuring that out. So I left high school at 16 and a lot of people say, don't you wish you had finished your education? And I always say, but I got my, I got my degree and fuck you. I got a bachelor's <laughs> and screw you. And to this day, I can still be anyone in jeopardy. School only teaches you how to conform and stand in lines. I don't stand in lines. I snort them. First of all, that's my house size tagline. Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> I don't stand in lines. I snort them. Could you imagine? Oh, Sharon is just full of one-liners and so charismatic and bringing up school. Uh, Sharon is, Sharon's got her problems. We will get to the problematic yeah. nature of Sharon Needles, yeah. like trust and belief. But Sharon is an intellectual drag queen. Sharon is extremely smart and Sharon understands uh, news and politics and the history of popular culture in a way that not all of our queens do. Yeah, and we all know that there's nothing RuPaul loves more than a queen who understands irreverent pop culture references, who understands media and is able to bounce quotes and just references off of each other. Like, that is RuPaul's, like, when you scratch a dog's, like, hotspot and they kick their leg, like, that's RuPaul's hotspot is a, a pop culture banter. Um Another really big facet of Sharon's origin story was that she was, you know, endlessly bullied growing up. She grew up um, being a gay and self-proclaimed out, the gay outsider uh, in a town where, you know, it was good old-fashioned, conservative, all-American values. Um, you know, she wasn't, also wasn't like a kid who grew up like clinging to anybody in her family from being bullied. Like she was the kid who 
clung to no one and closed off her family and wouldn't talk to her parents and gave them one word answers. And they were afraid that she was suicidal. And you know what I mean? She was a goth teenager that grew up in a small meth town, like post Columbine. You know what I mean? Like that's got it. I can't even imagine. First of all, I can't even imagine what it's like to grow up in Iowa at all. No shade. <laughs> but like to be sharing needles living in a town that's majority cornfields is like unimaginable. Uh, I found an interview with Sharon where uh, she had a very interesting perspective on it. Uh, she said, uh, well, she talked about being bullied and she talked about being an outsider, uh, but she said, I actually, I never felt like an outsider. I felt like the most inside kid at school. I felt like the most popular girl in class. I just didn't know what everyone else's fucking problem was. Ugh, it's the most Sharon outlook on uh, its perfection. Dan, can you imagine having that... Uh, self-assuredness and that uh, self-identity and confidence in your identity despite being in a messy but fuck nowhere farming community i mean it's interesting because it's like that is that sort of self-proclaimed outsiderness that she describes is the thing that like pushed her on the show and like really made her a star you know what i mean she was it's like these things all really truthfully prepared her for the way she would be perceived by the other queens on her season of drag race so it was like you know it's so funny when you go back and watch that show and you know all these things about her growing up it's like that was probably a really safe place for her a safe space to feel misunderstood by the whole cast like that was probably something you know what i mean like it probably felt safe for her because that's what all she's ever really known yeah, well, that allowed her to be uber confident in the competition despite being disparaged in the workroom. Yeah, knowing that she's right. She's doing something that's, you know, a little bit more than like just pageantry. <laughs> um, when she was 16, she ran away from home with a fake ID under the advice of a guidance counselor who told her that she was more of a distraction at school and that she should run away. So she did, uh, like, like moved to um, Des Moines, like 36 miles from her farm town. And then fast forward a few years, Sharon is living in Boulder. She's like traveled all over the country, just like being a fucking boxcar child. Um, She's living in this like punk co-op with a bunch of drug addicts and hippies in this rundown, abandoned mansion. Uh, she got a DUI, fled to Pittsburgh to avoid going to jail. And uh, she thought she was going to be there for a couple years and ended up living there for like the rest of her life. And it's now the, you know, Pittsburgh is, it's, it's what runs through her veins. You know what I mean? It, Pittsburgh is Sharon Needles. I didn't know that about the DUI. Uh, she... Did she clean that up? Did she deal with it? I don't know. I have no idea, but she was just like, I didn't want to go to jail, and I didn't feel like dealing with the responsibility of having to go to court. So they In- just moved. Interestingly, the exact same story of Miss Fifi O'Hara. Really? Yeah, Fifi O'Hara worked at uh, some sort of a mall, sunglasses hut sort of a retail situation in Texas, and was accused of stealing a pair of sunglasses, I want to say, that she had given to her boyfriend. uh, And the manager had said, it's cool, you can pay it off as you go. And then uh, they 
change their minds and accuse her of stealing them. And uh, she got arrested once she was on tour, uh, landing in Texas, I want to say. Wait, when was this? Uh, she, Fifi got arrested, I don't I want to say like 2016, something oh, like that. Oh my God, I thought you were going to say like 2007. No, the, the situation with the sunglasses or whatever retail item it was, uh, was years and years ago. Oh. Uh, but uh, it, there was still like technically, I guess, a warrant out for her arrest. Whoa. Uh, but yeah, so but the exact same story had like bounced. Oh my god, the yeah. irony of those two—that <laughs> is so funny. Is that a thing that everybody knew that I didn't? Is that like a common knowledge thing? The Fifi thing? Yeah, uh, like within like the drag fandom, it was like a like it blew up the subreddit sort of a situation. Yeah. Okay. All right. I get it. I try and avoid Reddit. Reddit makes me feel old. I, I don't like how it makes me feel. Like I don't like not being able to work it the way that like a youthful person would. And I just avoid it. Well, and that particular sub is real young. Okay, yeah, I know that like drag Reddit is like it basically like fuels the show pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an excellent place to creep. Uh, I do not engage because those are teenagers and yeah. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, while she was living in this mansion in Pittsburgh, one of her friends was like. Or, I'm sorry, living in this mansion in Des Moines, one of her friends was like, you know, we should, like, move to Pittsburgh or whatever because it's, like, cheap and affordable. And she was running away from the police. And then somebody suggested um, drag. Uh, she started working as a professional drag queen shortly after moving, and she started the iconic House of Hunt, um, which, like, it's so funny because you look... Like, I was reading all these interviews where it's, like, you know... Young people like look at the house, the house of haunt, as like this iconic, like you know, like these like really cool kids that were in these cool bars and these cool people, and they're all like when you look back, like they're they're performing in in literal dumps, like the Blue Moon, the bar that they worked at, was a literal like cesspool hellhole, and like they describe it as that too, like you know what I mean? They still go there and they will even perform to this day, but it's like a literal, it's a shithole. Yeah, Google image search, uh, Blue Moon. It is a true dive bar. Yeah, like, it's a place... I call bars like that Lonely Hearts. Yes. Uh, It's a Lonely Hearts bar. I used to work with a... When I worked at a restaurant here, um, I worked with this really old bartender who had been there for, like, 15 or 20 years. And I was cleaning up one night, and she uh, leaned into me with her smoker voice and told me... um, She said, the people that come here at night and want to stay until bar close their lonely hearts and i'll never forget it (laughs) it's the best way to describe an old drunk which is me um but yeah so their aesthetic was i mean everything you would imagine but also like a very early to mid myspace era and when you look at these photos if you grew up in that particular time you kind of get goosebumps because you're transported right back to this time period where people were editing their photos in this very specific way with paint um, the look is just so MySpace, Hot Topic, like Urban Outfitters, like neon colored patent leather pumps. Like just, it's just so MySpace. This ain't a scene. It's a goddamn arms race. <laughs> like seriously, it is like, I, I was like dying looking at no, it was peak scene, kid aesthetic. I went back and watched uh, the Pittsburgh horror video. 
Have you seen oh, that? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't know what it's actually called, but Sharon uh, plays a whore and talks about turning tricks all over <laughs> town in Pittsburgh, and it sounds exactly like a Jeffree Star I know. 2004 <laughs> song. And Jeffree Star like predates Sharon by like a minute, but not yeah. by much. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, I think would have been a primary inspiration for those. Uh, MySpace days. I also found it really fascinating too. Like when you go back and look at really, really old versions of Sharon Needles, you know, she was, she described herself as this very like um, dumb blonde, like Kelly Bundy character who was just like an airhead and an idiot. And there was like something that wasn't clicking. And then she was like, I'm going to make Kelly Bundy just like dead. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to like go out on stage as the same sort of dumb character, but I'm going to be dead. And also you can bleed that into all these other factions of pop culture. And like was there was born Sharon Needles. I mean, she's truly a, a dead Kelly Bundy. It's like the perfect way to describe her. It really is, though, that first part of the character, of the persona that brings Sharon to life, that makes her two-dimensional, because she's not just a spooky queen. She's not just a witch. Uh, She is a dumb witch who's maybe really smart, who is a, you know, dead sex doll, but... She she got some contrast. Uh, yeah. She got some friction points in the character uh, that gave it some texture. Uh, but I don't know even uh, when Sharon talks about it, if that was fully formed right before Drag Race or if that came together on Drag Race or what. Because if you look at all of those videos and photos of pre-Drag Race Sharon, it's very unpolished and it is not the brand Sharon Needles we know today. No, not at all. It's not... Yeah, it's... uh, Yeah, unpolished is like an understatement. You know what I mean? It's like, it is truly throwing... Like, taking a box of wigs and throwing it at somebody to see if they stick to any part of their body. I mean, it is like... It's rough. Um, But... Lucky, lucky you, their MySpaces are still up, active, and they, the House of Hunt Tumblr is still a thing. Um, it hasn't been updated in years, but, I mean, these photos are accessible. Before we, like, get into Alaska's gig, I'm telling you guys, you've got to look at this guy. You've got to look at their MySpaces. You have to look at Alaska Thunderfuck's MySpace. It is, it's like a rabbit hole, for real. I know I say that a lot, but it really is. Troy, do you still have a live MySpace? So a few years ago, I deleted my MySpace and I don't regret anything more in my life. Like I hate that I deleted this like relic. Do you? I do not. I still have a fully password protected and maintained live journal that dates back to 2004, I want to say. Mm-hmm which is a true journey. Uh, I have tried so hard to uh, find and retrieve my MySpace. I have gone through all of the hoops. Uh, I think something happened with that, like goddamn Justin Timberlake, MySpace rebrand in like 2012 or something when I switched it over to some sort of a new format. I think that I lost the old pure MySpace. So he hurt you too, huh? I mean, he has hurt us all. <laughs> None of us are untouchable when it comes to Justin Timberlake. Um, 
Do you want to talk about Alaska for a little bit before we like jump into drag race things? Yeah, let's talk about Alaska. Uh, The jumping off point that I think is interesting when you're talking about the blue moon and the house of haunt uh, was that Alaska was very, or sorry, Sharon was very aware of Alaska and Alaska's place in the underground art fag Hollywood, Los Angeles, like downtown LA scene. Uh, And Sharon was watching Alaska, like get pissed on on the internet. And uh, while Sharon was like, by all accounts, the big star once drag race took off, I think that pre Pittsburgh, that Sharon was doing her thing with the house of haunt, but what she probably wanted was to sort of be doing what Alaska was doing. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that that's one of the most fascinating things about their dynamic is like, and, you know, Sharon will even admit this, that, you know, she looks up to Alaska so much in the sense that she kind of, Alaska has like really mastered all the things that Sharon, I don't know, I wouldn't say like wishes that she was because I think Sharon is like very fully realized, but I don't know, it's just different. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I think that... Uh, it's not a yin-yang situation, but Alaska was able to, like, Pokemon evolve in a way that Sharon wasn't. And it's not to say that, like, Charmander is not, like, a great and wonderful original three, but Sharon can't be, like, a Charizard. Sharon is (laughs) within certain parameters, and Alaska was able to expand her drag and expand her aesthetic and expand her brand in a way that Sharon wasn't. Yeah. It's almost like you guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash EB psychos. At that point you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast you'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week you'll get liz bentley's feathers in my hair which is the teen mom podcast um you'll get me and molly's uh britney and kevin chaotic special you'll get all the stuff that molly does exclusively through patreon it's well worth it and also if you're not a member of our facebook group go to molly and the it'll take you straight to it and uh all we do all day and all night is talk about reality tv it's super fun so, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. 